Is that better? There we go. How's it going? Good. Good to see you all. I uh, would love to have you take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Man, it's good to, good to see you all. It's good to hear the sharing from, uh, from our students. Thank you guys for, for being willing to, to share just a bit of your trip. I encourage you, the rest of the congregation, get to know, get to know some of these kids. Uh, hear their stories, uh, both from the trip and just in general. Uh, thank you for being willing to take risks, to step out, uh, and to lead us as the rest of the congregation to kind of follow that example of, of just like passionately following Jesus. So it, it's really inspiring to see you all. Man, it's good to be together. It's kind of, this morning feels weird. I'll be, all honesty, um, totally forgot. And I realized like that's a bad admission as a campus pastor, but totally forgot we're not doing kids ministry this morning. So it's like we're giving our volunteers like a much needed break. Um, but like, so we're kind of like scrambling with our kiddos and stuff like that. And so second service is like awesome. Uh, we just like packed to the edges, have like uh, kids in the service. Um, and so, but it does change the flow. So like this morning, our service is a little bit, a little bit emptier. So, uh, if you see any crickets, you can like stomp on the crickets in the, in the corners, but, uh, it is, it's really good to, good to have you here. Good to be together. Um, we're in a fourth week of this series called Neighboring, where we are learning what it means to love our neighbors the way Jesus loves our neighbors, and to just kind of see ourselves as uh, people called by God to help bring the kingdom into our neighbor, our neighborhood. Uh, when Jesus teaches us to pray, right in his prayer, he says um, to, to pray this way, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we can make that actually more specific to say, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. And then God wants to use us to help make that a reality. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've just been exploring this and what that looks like. Last week, Jim was here, um, and I got to be up in McPherson, which was uh, super cool to just hang out with the folks at McPherson, and uh, I got to listen to Jim's teaching here. So good, like just practical stuff. Like how many of you got to use, that, use this uh, this week? Did you get to fill in a few more blanks about neighbors who maybe you don't know? Um, this is a great tool. If you missed last week, uh, pick one of these up. The whole point is just to say, we cannot love our neighbors if we don't know them, if we don't know them. And so do we actually know our neighbors? And so to fill in uh, these houses around yours uh, with as, as much info as you know about uh, your neighbors, hang this somewhere so you can see it, you can pray for people. Uh, to be real honest, I have a cheat sheet on my phone. I've got just like a, I've got an iPhone, so I have like a one page of my notepad is just all of my neighbors and everything I know about them. And if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that that seems creepy uh, to you in my neighborhood. But um, it's a way of caring. It's a way of saying, I, I want to know these folks. And so every time we have a conversation, if I learn something new, I'll just kind of have their address down, I have their names, and I'll put something down there. And then it, it just helps me to kind of keep them in mind. I'll look at it every once in a while because I tend to forget. Uh, I'm one of those folks who can like, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later uh, as a problem, of just can say, hey, my name's Eric. What's your name? And then I walk away. I'm like, what was their name? Like two seconds later, I can't remember their name. And that's a problem. And so um, having a cheat sheet is super, super helpful. Really good stuff. And how many of you uh, were able to pick up a box of brownies last week? Bake some brownies. Anybody get to take them to their neighbors? Very cool. Um, so if you didn't, no guilt, right? It's all grace. Just do it this week. 
Um, no, totally. There's a, there are boxes at the back. So you can, you can pick up some brownie uh, mix. And the whole point is just to say, hey, if you don't know your neighbors or you haven't connected, uh, brownies are a really great entry point to be able to say, hey, like, uh, I should have done this a while back, but I just want to say hi. And hey, here's a plate of brownies. And, uh, and you, can just, uh, you can just use that as an entry point into a, a conversation. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared this story two weeks ago about uh, one of our neighbors that is kind of lonely but sees the world through a dirty window. You remember me telling that story? Like when we talk, everything is always bad all the time. It's always about um, the problems going on in his life or the neighborhood or the world and everything is bad. And so, like, my kids really, like, take it upon themselves, and we talk about this, like, how can we help clean his window a little bit, right? So, a few weeks ago, I told the story to say, uh, we got home from a conversation, and the kids decide, we're going to bake some chocolate zucchini cake, and cut them into little hearts, like chocolate zucchini mini cakes, and take them to our neighbor. And so they do, and he's, like, super uh, gracious and grateful, and then, like, two days later, he's driving past, and he pulls into our driveway, backs up, and he's like, hey, uh, if you want these, I've got a whole t- trunk full of old, like, vintage games. Uh, my kids used to play them, and grandkids, and they're not around anymore. Like, some were still in the package, like, in the box from, like, the, the 60s and 70s. And uh, we're like, absolutely, like, we would love these. This is awesome. So our kids, like, unpack them, and it's, like, Christmas in June, right? And, and so, like, for me, this was, like, a, a super simple example of abundance. Like, abundance is contagious, right? When, when, like, we get to share our lives with people and open up and, and offer something, like, as simple as zucchini cake or brownies or whatever, like, people want to sort of reciprocate that, to return that. And it just creates this abundance in our communities. So that's, what, that's one of the things we want to do. So this morning, what we want to do is talk about hospitality. What does biblical hospitality look like? How many of you know what our church sign says? Shout it out if you know it. You are welcome here. Right on, 10 points for you. Um, not worth anything, but this is what it says. Uh, ten, uh, you are welcome here. And it said that for like a couple years. We don't change our church sign regularly. Why not? Uh, two reasons. One is we don't want to have this happen. Um, Next slide. There we go. Hey, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Uh, there's like a whole website for like bad church signs. Like we kind of think we know what you were trying to say with that, but it doesn't say what you think it meant. Uh, tired of being a loser? Turn to God. Um, don't want that on the church sign. I tried to cut the pastor's names off of this. This is my favorite. Get behind me, Satan! Um, I don't know if this is like a... A, uh, a statement about your preferred undergarments or what, but uh, get behind me, satin. Always check spelling. And this one is actually kind of funny. Um, we're all about dead grace, about dead grace, no devil. Um, kind of funny. We got to give it like super cheesy, but, but kind of it's chuckle worthy. So we don't do that. Um, as much as we like cheese around here, we try to keep it off of the church sign. And so we just have this super simple message of, you are welcome here. But the real reason is because this is a core value in the church. Like, we want to be the kind of church that says, no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter how far from God you feel, when you come into this space, when you interact with us as a church, we want you to feel welcome. 
We want you to know that you belong. This is something we care so deeply about. Why? Because we represent God to those people who walk through the door. Like, we represent God's welcome and God's embrace, and God's embrace is massive. And so we want people to experience the transforming love of Jesus in our worship gatherings. Are we cool with that? Everybody on the same page with that? And so... That's why our sign says you are welcome here. How many of you remember the, like, the few moments before the first time you walked through the doors on a Sunday morning here at Journey? Do you remember that? And for some of you, it was like, it wasn't a lot long ago. Some of you, it was years ago. Uh, do you remember like driving around the block, like praying for a sign that says, God, if like today's not the right day for me to visit, like just give me a sign and I'll go to McDonald's. I'll just like, we'll just go hang out there. We'll do something else. You know what I'm talking about? Like that feeling of just like anxiety of saying, what's going to happen when I walk through the doors? Are people going to be weird? Are they going to like, are they going to accept me? Are they going to welcome me? Am I going to like, what's, what's that going to be like? Do you, do you remember that feeling? Um, I, I talk to people sometimes who are like, you have no idea how many times I just sort of like circled, right? Just like drove past because I couldn't make myself do it. And sometimes we forget who are on the inside, who have been a part of the church for a long time, how, how difficult that is to get up the courage to walk in. And so if you're here this morning and you just like walked in, um, just like, man, it takes a ton of courage. Like that is, that is awesome. And so for the rest of us, do you remember then what your experience was like when you walked in? Do you remember what that was like? Uh, again, because I talk to people all the time, and I hope this was your experience, that you felt like you came home, that you felt welcome, that somebody looked at you and extended a hand and said, it's, it's good to have you here. Hi, my name is, I don't think we've met yet. Like, that you, you receive that kind of a welcome. Like, I really hope that that's the experience. But for every one of us who, uh, who is here, who is a part of the church, whether you've been here like long term or just recently, but you said like journey is my church home, then it now becomes our responsibility to share that welcome with others. Like the primary responsibility for being a welcoming church that lives up to the sign that says you are welcome here, it isn't the campus pastor or Jesse or others, uh, Sherry on the pastoral staff. It isn't our greeters who do a fantastic job or the connect team or the ushers. It is the responsibility of every one of us who call Journey Home to say we want this place to be a place where everyone is welcome, to practice hospitality. And, and so, um, so to, to do that, like to, to go out of our way on a Sunday morning to say, I, I'm not just going to talk to the people I'm super comfortable with. Because that's the easiest thing in the world, right, is to just say, I know you, we're friends, hey, how's it going, we're going to catch up. But to say, actually... Because I think this is what Jesus is calling me to, I, like, I'm not actually just going to talk to those people who I'm, I'm best friends with. I'm actually going to talk to people who I don't yet know. To, to a person who's standing by themselves in, in one of our commons areas. I'm actually going to choose to follow Jesus and to talk to this person because our welcome matters and it's up to me to take ownership of that. Uh, we've, we've heard, maybe you've heard, like, just these horror stories of, like, somebody who, like, walks into a church for the first time, and they sit down, and somebody comes up to them and says, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat, right? This is horrible. This is, like, the stuff of nightmares for pastors. Like, no! Like, our job is not to be comfortable. It's to go out of our way to make others feel comfortable and welcome. So, if you sit in the same seat every week, that is fine. But if somebody comes and is sitting in your seat 
Please don't do that. Please go out of your way to make people comfortable. And so it might be a good thing to just kind of move around every once in a while so we don't get, don't get too comfortable. Hospitality is, um, is something that we want to have happen here on a Sunday morning, but we actually want to have it extend far beyond like just our Sunday morning and our church experience. Because like most of us, we spend one hour together on a Sunday morning. That's it. And so if hospitality is just something we do on Sunday mornings, we're missing a huge chunk of our life. And you find all throughout the New Testament, in fact, all throughout the Bible, there is this steady call to practice hospitality. Here, here are just a couple of verses. They're not on the screen, so just you can listen. This is Romans 12, 12 and 13. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and extend hospitality to strangers. This is what Paul says. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, talking about leaders in the church. An overseer is, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Like hospitality is like this, it's a requirement for leadership in the church. Um, 1 Peter 4, verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Um, so, this, this vision of biblical hospitality is so important that we catch a glimpse of it. One way we can differentiate generosity from hospitality is this, like, is from uh, Bruxy Cavey. Um, he says this, that generosity is how we bless others by those things we give away. That's being generous. But hospitality is how we bless others by those things that we keep. Um, and so just because we, we're generous and we give things away to bless other people doesn't mean that that's where our, our, our generosity stops. But we bless others with our home and with our cars and with our food and, and, and those resources that we keep, we continue to bless others with those things. And it's a spiritual discipline that we learn, we learn over time. So let's take a look at, at, at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, just first two verses. It's kind of like the closing statements of like, hey, don't forget this really important stuff of this letter. So chapter 13, verse 1 says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. How cool is that? Like, showing hospitality to strangers, it actually turns out to be an angel, and you didn't know it. Like, let's sign up for hospitality. That sounds pretty sweet. So, what in the world is, um, is going on here? So, three things in these two verses. Like, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, don't stop loving one another as brothers and sisters. Like, to just say, as a church, we are spiritual family. Um, we, we care for each other. This is those of us who are already here, who are plugged in. That, that when somebody's sick, we, we care for them. We visit them. Um, not just the pastors, not the pastoral care team, but the church. This is what we do. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, we can't do this for everybody, but, but we have a circle of people that we, we do this for. Um, that, uh, that we, we have, in, in first service, we have uh, somebody going in for uh, surgery tomorrow to, to remove a cancerous tumor. And so it was a group of people that just gathered around him and his wife and just prayed for him, laid hands on him, prayed for them. It's spiritual family. That's what we do. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So, like, the, the encouragement is don't stop doing that stuff. Care for each other. That's really, really important. 
but never close the circle. Like, never say, okay, these are my people to care for, this is my spiritual family, and this is it. The circle's closed, nobody, nobody gets in. But the second encouragement is show hospitality to strangers. To strangers. Now, here's the crazy thing. The word hospitality in Greek in the New Testament is this word philoxenia. Everybody say philoxenia. All right? And it's made up of two words, phileo, which means to love, and xenos, which means stranger. So philoxenia is to love a stranger. Loving strangers is hospitality. So me um, saying, hey, let's go out for lunch um, you know, as a group of friends after church on a Sunday morning, is that hospitality? No, not according to the biblical definition. It's, it may be that spiritual family, caring for one another, loving one another, so don't stop doing that. But hospitality, when the Bible says show hospitality, it's specifically referring to how we relate to strangers, to those who aren't yet included. So there's this, there's this outward push to love those who we don't yet know. And then, and then the, the writer says this. It's crazy. He says, because some have, have, in showing hospitality to a stranger, have actually shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So there's a story in the Old Testament. It, you can turn there if you want to, in Genesis 18, that most people think he was probably referencing the story of Abraham. And Abraham was, uh, was a father of faith, and he was called by God to leave his homeland, like sort of uproot and leave his homeland and go to this place that God was going to show him along the way. And so Abraham is a foreigner. He is a stranger in a strange land, wandering about, following God's leadership. But now Abraham has settled. So it's in, in chapter 18 of Genesis. It says this. It says, the Lord, like this is God, the Lord in all capital letters is, is the, the like personal name for God, Yahweh. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, some uh, folks from last week, like after the video about the turquoise table, I had two people text me a picture of a turquoise table in their front yard. That's super cool. Like, to just create space. If you weren't here last week, you can watch a video and see that. But to create a space where you're just going to be there and interact with your neighbors. So where's Abraham sitting in the heat of the day? Under a tree in front of his tent. He's on the front porch. He's sitting at the turquoise table, this space where he's aware of who is coming and going. Now, one of the things you can pass over is the place where he's living in this region called Mamre. It's in a a region of Hebron in Israel. And it was a plot of land that was given to him to move on, to to settle on, when when he was wandering as a stranger in a strange land. That there was this man whose name was Mamre, who, um, who was an Amorite. They were not from the same background. Abraham was a Hebrew, and, and, and this man who's an Amorite. But the, Abraham received hospitality. He was a stranger, and this man invites him in and says, well, you settle here and, and, and raise your, your, fa- your family here and have your flocks and herds graze here. And so he settles down, and Abraham receives hospitality. And this man, Mamre, and his, his friends like invite Abraham and his family into their circle of friends. And it says they have, in chapter 14 of Genesis, they have these alliances together. And so Abraham was a recipient of radical generosity when he was a stranger. And now he's there sitting in front of his tent in the heat of the day, and he looks up and he sees these three strangers. He doesn't know that they're God. 
We're told, like, from the perspective of, like, history and scripture that they're God. But he looks up, verse 2, it says he looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried to the entrance of the tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. And he said, hey, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and that word, my Lord, isn't a reference to God, it's just... It's just respect. It's sirs. If I found favor in your eyes, sirs, please don't pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on their way now that you have come to your servant. So Abraham was first the recipient of, of somebody else's hospitality, and now he's extending it to these strangers. And so uh, they say, very well, uh, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, his wife, and he says, quick, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. This is great hospitality lessons. Like when you want to entertain, like on the way home, you just say, quick, make some food, honey, because we got some people coming over. Maybe don't do that. I uh, know from experience, not a good plan. Just, just being a biblical Biblical host here, sweetie. Um, so three, three seas of flour, that's more than 30 pounds of flour. So this is not just like, hey, let me, let me get you some, uh, some donuts, like whatever, you know, kind of hang out. This is, this is over-the-top generosity. Either Abraham is planning on inviting the whole neighborhood to come and have a feast with them, or he's going to send them on their way with just massive amounts of food. So it's this picture of crazy generosity. Um, so Abraham, so, uh, verse 7, then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and he gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set those before them. And while they ate it, he stood nearby under a tree. Again, if you've ever gone to like um, a, a sort of a, a country in, in Central America, Latin American country, they will serve you right? Like, you'll, you'll sit as the guest, as honored guest, and you get this unbelievable hospitality. They will make you the best food possible. And then sometimes it's awkward because we're not used to it, but they will sort of stand and almost watch you eat because they just, they just want to honor you and want you to have as much food as you get. Like, there's this, this cultural principle of hospitality that is so beautiful and compelling that we see here. And Abraham, by entertaining these three strangers, by showing them hospitality, he was actually entertaining the presence of God. He was welcoming the presence of God. Uh, most people believe that it was, it was God somehow in the flesh. It was, it was a theophany. It's just a word for God appearing in the Old Testament. This picture of God and two angelic beings with him. And this is who, this is who Abraham is sharing some food with. And this is actually what Jesus says too, isn't it? Like when we welcome strangers, we actually welcome the presence of Jesus. Is that crazy to think about that? In Matthew 25, Jesus, he paints this picture and he says, so at the, at the end of all things, when the nations, the nations of the earth come before Jesus to be judged, here's what he says. So the king will say to those on his right, come, you who've been blessed by my father, and take your inheritance, this kingdom that has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. And, and listen to what he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a, everybody know what it says? I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you have done for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. That in some crazy, mysterious, holy way, Jesus is present when we welcome a stranger into our lives. That Jesus is present in the person, uh, the, the, the stranger, especially those who don't have the ability to repay us. Because like sometimes we have the relationships, and they're fine to have, you know, the, again, the circle of friends, where it's like, well, we'll like go to your place for dinner and, and hang out and have a good time, and then you'll come to our place for dinner and hang out and have a good time. And you just kind of like, sometimes I hear the, like, the scorecard thing, well, like, okay, you did it last time, so it's kind of our turn to return the favor, and it's like this reciprocal relationship. It's actually not hospitality. Like, that's at least not this picture that Jesus is saying. It's great to have those relationships. Keep doing that. But biblical hospitality is actually inviting people into our lives who could never repay us. Like, there, there's that piece of it, that Jesus says, I am present with you in those places. And in Luke 14, he says, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. So what does this look like? What does it look like to actually take a step toward this? To practice biblical hospitality, there are a few hurdles that we're going to have to overcome. And maybe you're like, as we're talking about this, and it's like, okay, no, here's why that will never work for us. And so maybe we'll name some of those things. Here are hurdles to hospitality. One is margin. Who's got time for that? I mean, who in the world has time to, like, welcome people? I don't even have enough time for my family or my friends. How in the world? We just don't have margin. We don't have margin. Um, take a look at this next slide. Relationships happen in the margin of our lives when we're so busy that we never have time to simply be. We cut ourselves off from the possibility of developing meaningful, life-giving relationships with those around us. It takes discipline to stop. Thankfully, we are disciples of Jesus, and the root of disciple is discipline. So, in Jesus' name, slow down. Make room for life. As Dallas Willard says, follow the example of Jesus and ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let me say that again. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. A different way of living is possible, and with God's help, you too can make room for life. Now, how many of you enjoy reading a slide like that? How many of you are bugged to no end because there isn't enough margin on that slide, right? What are you doing? And yet, that's how like so many of us live. Like, you would never pick up a book and read it if there were words to the edge of every page, if there wasn't any white space. Why? Because it's overwhelming. It's unmanageable. And some of us have to be real honest that that our lives are unmanageable. Our lives are overwhelming. There is no white space in our lives. And so this is a picture. One of the first hurdles we have to overcome is to say, Jesus, we got to say no to some stuff. And there's a discipline in that to say, okay, what are, what are our priorities as an individual, as a family? What are our priorities and what are we, we going to say no to? We're going to say no to these things for better things. We're actually going to take time to stop and to be and to be together. And we're going to value time. We're going to create margin and create space for a relationship to happen. Margin is a huge, huge hurdle. Um, another hurdle is, uh, hey, this whole hospitality thing, it's not my personality. Like, Eric's talking to the extroverts. 
Like, it's easy for an extrovert to sort of stand up there and talk about, like, opening your life. But I'm introverted. Like, you don't know me. Like, my personality, this is not for me. So, no thank you. I'll pass. I won't make you raise your hands. Uh, if you, like, if you feel that, like, when we talk about this. Do you know that introverted people are actually better at hospitality than extroverts? Like, I'm convinced of this. I've seen it again and again and again. Do you know why? Because extroverts, we have this problem. Like, ten, we tend to be the ones who fill our lives so full with no margin. Like, we, we just don't have time. And so just like we're encouraging extroverts to stop and make space for God and make space for life, we are encouraging introverts to say, you actually need to, you need to put yourself out there. And extroverts will tend to bounce from relationship to relationship. Why? Because they're energized by people. They love people. I can't get enough people. And so, like, just like me, like, sometimes we'll talk to somebody and say hi to somebody and then walk away and realize, like, I never, I, I don't actually know their name. I ask their name and I walk away from them and I don't remember. And I don't like that about myself. And so I am, like, undergoing this discipline of change to say, God, you want me to value people and I'm not and I need to be. So help me. So there's a discipline of change, and extroverts tend to do that. We bounce from person to person. But introverts will tend to see people and slow down and actually give intention to relationship. And you're better at hospitality, so don't let your personality stop you from this. Jesse, our youth pastor, is an introvert. How many of you knew this, right? And, um, and so we talk about this neighborhood stuff sometimes, and he's like, what does this look like for me? Like, what in the world? I, I'm, I need a quiet time. I need alone time. And that's what, what's what it means to be introverted, is you just, your batteries recharge when you're alone. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But Jesse and Shiloh and their family have done this amazing job of creating a space in their home that their place is a safe place for neighborhood kids. Like, you know, their, their kids have lots of friends and, like, sometimes they just talk about, like, these kids who are just sort of coming and going from their home because they know, hey, the Blaisdells are cool, they're safe, they love us, and we're welcome there. Like, that's hard. I mean, that, that was a discipline for Jesse to be able to say, I'm willing to do that to create this space. And then they, they set up some boundaries to say there are days that are off limits. So we're, this is our family day. We're, we're, nobody else is going to come and go. And that's great, and we, it's necessary. But please don't let your personality, submit your personality to the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus made you the way you are, um, and he wants to use you the way you are uniquely to bless the people around you. And so uh, we can't use our personality as an excuse. Um, privacy is one of like, oh man, I, I just like, I, I really value my privacy. Um, I would say just kind of get over that. Um, but that's not super compassionate. Um, we share our data, like, with unknown faceless entities like Google and Verizon and Facebook and all that stuff. Like, we can share our lives with a human being who lives somewhere close to us. Like, privacy, um, is a bit of a facade. But take a step. Like, so what would happen if, like, once a month you brought a, um, you just packed a lunch, a picnic lunch, and you brought it to church with you on Sunday morning, and you said, um, we are going to like actually go to the park. Uh, it works better when it's not like 110 degrees or whatever. Um, we're going to go to the park and we're going to hang out at the park, but we're not just going to invite our friends, like people who we're already comfortable with to go. We're actually going to invite a few people who we don't know to say, hey, we're just going to go hang out at the park over here. And chances you want to come, you can grab some fast food if you want to come and hang out with us. It isn't in your space. It isn't a privacy concern. You're at a park, but you are opening your life up and inviting other people in. This is a hurdle. A fear is a hurdle. 
stranger danger, right? Like we're, we're scared of strangers. Do you know what the opposite of philoxenia is, hospitality? Xenophobia, fear of strangers. The opposite of hospitality is fear of strangers. And so we actually don't teach our kids stranger danger anymore. I grew up with that, like you see a stranger, you, you run away. We don't want our kids to be scared of strangers. We want them to be scared of tricky people, Right? So we talk about that, to say, like, be aware of tricky people, be wise, like slippery people. Um, don't, uh, you know, sort of have your radar on for that stuff. But every stranger is a potential friend. Like, every person who you are friends with now was at one point in your life a stranger. And the only thing that changed was proximity. You got to know them. And so fear of strangers is something we have to overcome. We have to... Um, we have to work through. And then the last one is perceived um, inadequacy. We just, man, my house isn't nice enough. It's not clean enough. I can't cook well enough. Um, all of these things, we just feel inadequate. And, and when we feel this way, we are thinking about entertaining guests, not showing hospitality. Because hospitality puts the emphasis on, our, on the people who are coming, not on our ability to entertain them or to host them or to have a house that's perfect and clean and all that stuff. And so to change your mindset, to not let these perceived inadequacies um, keep you from, from opening your life up because people will care much more about you and the relationship that you're wanting with them than they do about your space. Practice scruffy hospitality. It's okay. It's, it's all right if your house isn't great. Let's pray together. God, um, we do ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would help us God, not to just hear these words, not to just hear this, this call to biblical hospitality, but to take a step. And God, we also recognize that there is grace, God, that every one of us is in a season of our life. And, and, and seasons change and they're different. And so God, whatever this looks like for us, however we are called to put this message into practice, God, help us. Help us to do that. And God, we don't want to be people who, who are closed off who, who keep other people outside of the circle. But Jesus, we want to model your love and your care, and we want to move toward those who don't yet belong. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that as a church. Help us to do it in our neighborhoods. God, whatever hurdles we need to overcome, we trust that by your spirit, you will give us wisdom to do it. In community with others, brothers and sisters in Christ, you will give us wisdom to be able to overcome these hurdles so that our lives can represent this welcome, this radical welcome that, you, that your life represented Jesus and that you want for us in our neighborhoods. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.